UK Motor Talk. Hi everyone and welcome back to yet another podcast and once again we are talking about the things that have interested us across the, the automotive world in the last week or so. It's a veritable smorgasbord of automotive content today because you've got me, Mike, you've got Jim. Good evening. You've got David. Hello. And you may or may not have Graham because through some brilliant breaks in technology you can either hear me or him but not both. So depending which version of the podcast you want to hear, turn to page 7 or page nine to see what happens next. You have chosen page seven. Mike's stories about car buying. You only have yourselves to blame. This week, I have been looking at buying a new car because like millions of you out there apparently it's now necessary for me to drive an SUV and if you've been listening to this for a long time you will know that I'm not the biggest fan of SUVs in general because I don't really see much point in them in that I think actually an estate car is generally a better thing to drive has more usable space and I personally think it's a bit better looking however Mrs. G has decided that she wants to get uh, an SUV, which means that, of course, I want to get an SUV now. Um, happy wife, happy life. Happy wife, happy life. We started off by taking a look at the new uh, MG ZS, um, largely due to the fact that the uh, dealership group had put an advert together saying we've got these cars and they're 159 a month um, with next to no deposit in. True to form, this said dealership group when he rang up didn't actually have any of these cars, which made it even more incredible when I drove past their compound and it was literally chock full of them. I thought they did have lots of them, but at one point the chap just couldn't tell you what colour they were without checking with his manager. This is basically what happened, yes. Yeah, so this is the most bizarre experience I've ever had in my life when it comes to buying a new car, because it's one of those things where you think, I know there's lots of stereotypes, but people are, if not hungry for a deal, because I kind of hate that that term, generally slightly interested in selling you a car i think is at least reasonable oh well it is what car dealerships do and regular listeners to the podcast will have no doubt worked out that actually you and i work at a car dealership don't we so yes it's it's in our interest to sell cars and sell uh, sell hours for fixing cars and sell parts when uh, when they break and that's that's kind of what we do it's when you distill it down to a nutshell it seems to be very hard work for what it is but it is quite basic isn't it it is and it's something that we've done for a number of years between us we have done it for decades between us in fact well actually yeah i think we're in our 30s but i think between us it feels like we have about 700 years experience this year at least (laughs) 2020 has has been a year i think for everybody but definitely it's been been a bit of a crazy one so back to the story I'd rung up and they said, oh, yes, um, I got the sales manager first of all. And um, he said, OK, yeah, um, what I'll do is I'll put you through to one of the sales guys. I said, but that's a cracking deal. There. I said, I, I nearly bought one for myself. I said, I'm surprised you didn't buy two, bearing in mind what a great deal uh, it was. So you, you put me through to, to his salesman uh, who immediately picked up the phone and cut me off and didn't call back. So I called him back. I said, I'm interested in your deal. What have you got? And he said, oh. Oh, yes, that is a good deal, he said. I'll uh, have, to, have to speak to the manager and find out. Went, OK, I'll call you back. Didn't really hear much back. Uh, and after much pressing, eventually uh, he said, oh, we've got the area manager coming down tomorrow. So he'll be able to tell me what we can get. So well, I thought you had it, which is the reason why they're on a special offer. But no, wait, there's more. 
you couldn't possibly do that. You have to give me the next model up. Oh, right. OK, I said. That's interesting. But I'm not necessarily so interested. There's a new model coming, which is why the old one's being sold off. So I decided that uh, I'd ask for a price on the new one. Ah, he said, OK, we can get you a new one. It'll only be £20 more than the old one. And you can have a top spec. Brilliant, I said. Let's have that. So lots of more turning and throwing, largely with me toing and less of them throwing because I had to keep chasing them at each point. But eventually he came back and said, ah, right, OK, yes. Um, would you like to put a deposit down? I said, fine, I'll put a deposit down to hold the original car. OK, well, it's going to be it's going to be one of the new ones. OK, great. That's, so we can, would you not come this weekend? Come next weekend. The new one's going to be there. Fine. Not a problem, I said. So I decided to go down the, the next weekend, rang up the sales manager. He goes, oh, no, hang on a second. He said, it's the old car. You must have got confused. I'm sorry if you're confused by the new car buying process. So I understand it quite well as it happens. Uh, I've got a rough idea of what happens when you buy a new car. And he goes, well, it was the old one we were talking about. We couldn't possibly do a deal on the new one because it would cost twice as much or whatever it was going to be. So I sent him the offer from the MG website, um, which was definitely not twice as much. It was much less than he'd offered. Oh, yes, OK, well, we, can, we, we can't do that. We can do this and, and so on and so forth. And so it went forward and backwards. But you must have been mistaken. But I couldn't really be mistaken when the chap had asked me to rebook so I could see the new model was arriving at their dealership the next week. Anyway, long, long story short, I've eventually got down there and we've test driven the car. And there was a lot of build up to this because I had to chase every few days. And it's yeah, it's OK. Uh, what an anti-climax. <laughs> so, did you, uh, so which which one did you drive in the end, the old one or the new one? I drove the new one. Ah, what was it like? Well, it had a five-speed manual box, which is a bit old-fashioned in itself. It had a 1.5 non-turboed engine, which is in itself very old-fashioned. It won't come as a massive surprise that it felt old-fashioned. The spec was brilliant. It had blind spot detection. It had a rear-view camera. In fact, it had a 360-degree camera, which even when you signalled right or left, put on the cameras on that side of the car so you didn't squash a cyclist when you go around a corner and didn't drive into anything in front of you. Brilliant idea, unless you're using the sat-nav, at which point what it would do is put the camera on so you couldn't see which junction you're meant to take. That was slightly irritating. Brilliant, brilliant piece of technology, slightly irritating. Oh, so what, if, if you were going round a roundabout, yes. you, you, do, you had to remember what exit you had to take before you went on to the roundabout, before you indicated. Yes, because otherwise you wouldn't be able to see because a camera came on. So you can see what you're about to hit whilst you're trying to look at the sat-nav screen so you can see which junction you're meant to take. But that's about it. Maybe that's why they do it, because they thought you're going to be looking at the sat-nav anyway. So looking where you're going, we might as well put the camera on. Who knows? So just don't indicate and, uh, and that's the yeah. answer. But, you know, the, the spec otherwise was, was great. You had uh, uh, leather seats which were heated. It had power folding mirrors. It was... LED headlamps, and genuinely a great-looking thing, quite comfortable, electric seats. You couldn't really ask for more in terms of spec. And then you went to go and change gear, and you smacked your arm on the armrest, and you went to put the handbrake on, you realised you had to be a contortionist to do that because there was the new fitted armrest is in the way. Irritating. Probably the most irritating thing, though, apart from the fact that technology-wise, 10-inch touchscreen, it felt really modern inside. And the drive was really old-fashioned because of the, the engine. It's about 11 seconds to 16. It was very slow and there was no real torque. But I think the worst thing is that they've got a brand new car, family car, obviously, and it has a three-star Euro NCAP rating. I didn't even know that was possible these days, but it had no uh, automatic braking. Fine, I can live without that because my car doesn't have that now and the other cars don't have it either. But also really poor score for 
rear passengers. And that's really kind of a problem for a family car. Because if you are going to go out there and buy one of these things under the pretense that it's somehow safer than driving a normal car, you probably want to protect the people that are in the back. How does a car produced in, uh, in 2020 get such a bad score for, uh, for rear, rear passengers? Surely it's got seat belts and a couple of airbags and what else is there to have or not have? Well, the only real problems, I suppose, is they didn't have a seatbelt minder in the back. So I suppose that's, that's a, a mark off there. And like I said, it didn't have the automatic city braking that everything seems to have. Now the car in front stops, slams on the brakes, your car slams on the brakes. Or in the case of the Cougar I drove the other day, it sees a car come the other way and slams on the brakes, which is slightly disconcerting. As I was going around a bend, but this kind of thing helps mitigate against accidents, which helps improve the score that you get in terms of the Eurencat rating. Needless to say, you kind of want a decent uh, rating for the kids in the back, as we've said. But if you don't mind them having whiplash or serious chest injuries, not really a problem it turns out so if you can live with that it's fine and i suppose on balance if they are wearing the kind of car seats that have a five point harness in it the chances are they're going to be pretty well contained inside the car seat and safe anyway because it seems to be where the seatbelt goes across uh, the chest that you get the worst problems so after all of that did you uh, did you place an order for one no i did not <laughs> did you look at the mghs though because that one's the next one up and that seems to have pretty much everything that you've said the zs doesn't have uh, I do know someone who's got one and he loves it. So is it yes. worth your while maybe trolling back and having a having a squint at one of those? Yes, it is. And I looked at the HS and I gave the guy some seriously interested signals. You know, I gave him the eyes. And bearing in mind how difficult it is to get a response, it's not like I'm trying to slip into his DMs or something. It's Doc Martin. Well, that's it. Uh, I, was in, I was in the showroom. I looked in the car. I thought it was brilliant. I showed him some spec. And I'll point out now that because I'd done some reading into the car, I knew more about the cars than he did, which is always really awkward when you go into a showroom because you kind of expect that people will at least generally know about the product. He assured me that he was certain the car now had a five-star rating, the ZS, which it doesn't because I've checked. He also didn't know about some of the features on the HS. Now, the HS is brilliant, I have to say, inside. Definitely inspired by Mercedes. had a big screen on top of the dash. Again, the same, the same screen incredibly plush really really nice inside the equivalent quality if you compare it to something of the same sort of same sort of ilk same sort of money like a cougar which feels quite plasticky inside by comparison hang on a cougar is a bit higher on retail price and certainly a lot more per month isn't it yes yeah it's about 100 pounds extra a month if we're going for an equivalent spec if you have a look at the karak if you have a look at the ateca the tiguan and other cars of that size it's brilliant it really is a very comfortable place to be this huge amount of space but needless to say i didn't get offered a test drive which is a bit of a bummer uh, because that comes with a 1.5 liter engine with a turbo and a six-speed gearbox and it suggests to me that where mg is going is the right way because the zs was impressive albeit slow and borderline unsafe but <clears throat> for legal reasons i only mean in terms of the euro cap safety rating not in terms of anything else uh, and the hs i thought was absolutely brilliant really good looking thing huge amounts of of kit on it really good technology and quite comfortable but he didn't offer to let me drive one why not goodness knows but what i did decide to do was when i decided that we didn't want the zs when eventually he couldn't come back and tell me what the urencat rating was or indeed if it did have some updated safety tech which might improve it i said to him well before i ask my deposit back can you please price me up an HS? Because I'd like to see what the price is and if it's comparable. 
bearing in mind they've got an offer on their own website so it shouldn't take very long 750 quid down 229 a month or something similar um, this was four days ago now I've emailed him twice and he's assured me that his sales manager would uh, email me back this morning and I've yet to hear anything um, so I'm guessing I probably won't be buying anything from them at all that sounds pretty poor. Do you think is are they just not interested in uh, in selling cars? They not interested in selling a car to you? They had enough of you? Or? Maybe. I mean, I think the problem is that the salesman clearly didn't know the product. He clearly offered me a new car at the old money, and they panicked. And then rather than just saying we've made a mistake. They, they couldn't do it. He just said, oh, I think there's been confusion on both ends or there's been crossed wires or something somewhere. But I'd, I'd written everything down. So I, I knew the answer. Unfortunately, it seems that this has been relatively widespread. I don't know if it's just because the industry is really busy, but uh, from there, um, I took a look at another vehicle, a Skoda this time around. Uh, and I know we have a Skoda fan in the house. <laughs> yes, David right. is waving yeah, at the microphone. Few, yes. But for the benefit of the listeners at home, David is, uh, is smiling and waving. The red is behind the green. Yes, I am a big fan of Skodas. Ever since my Alfa Romeo disgraced itself, I've driven nothing but. Very good cars. I don't think you go too far wrong. Volkswagen for the uh, cut price cheapo person about us. Well, and, and to be honest, I looked at the, um, I've looked at the Karok. The what? The Karok. What's a Karok? A Karok of what? Well, this, they've done it just to confuse everyone. They have the Kamek. The Karok and the Kodiak, or Skodiak, as I think they should have called it, to be honest, because it makes much more sense. But they have these three things named after, I think it's a, a small village that has not a lot going on, basically, but I'm sure is charming. And um, they have these three SUVs in their range. Basically, what it is, is an Ateca or a Tiguan. Okay. Which, it's, bas- it's just the same car. The Ateca has a slightly less well-built interior, in my opinion, but looks a bit prettier on the outside. The Skoda is very well built inside, and you, if you want to pay a little bit extra, you can get funky lights inside, which look absolutely superb. And uh, you and I, Jim, we uh, tested a Skoda Octavia that had that ambient light package, and it did look pretty smart inside. And it's really well it's screwed nice. together. Yeah, really, really impressed by that. And the Tiguan, which is kind of the same, but just a lot more expensive. So discounted that one. I've been looking at the Ateca and, and the Karok really really impressed i mean we everyone knows that skodas are no longer a joke um, but they are very well built car now it has to be said and the amount of kit you can get as standard even if you go up to the sort of second level you get keyless go power folding mirrors a reverse camera front and rear parking sensors just loads of bits and pieces on it massively impressive and actually quite reasonably priced i have however decided to shop around and as it turns out the motor industry is very busy, as we, we know. But again, speaking to people saying, oh, yeah, I think I've got a car for you. I'll call you back before six o'clock. You don't hear anything for days. I can't quite figure out what is going on. Why would you set this sort of expectation? I'm having a rant now. But all these years working in this industry, I can't really understand where the logic is in not getting back to people. Surely you want this. Even if you haven't got what they want straight away, you try and sell them something the next one up or just be honest with people well it's a shame about the mg really because as i say i know someone with one and he loves it to pieces and he he got very good uh service from the mg dealer and i i suspect it may even be a sim the one that you've been going to because he's not in a that far from you 
But I think the problem with MG is they're still a very small new company and they're still having to get to grips with what is now becoming a very competitive market, particularly at the minute with everything coming back to life. I got the impression from my brother, who it was who bought one, that they were struggling to keep up with the demand. They are literally a very small company. A couple of their dealerships are sort of converted houses from what I've seen, certainly in the southeast. And uh, I think that tells you an awful lot. I think they've got big ambition and they they do deserve to get better, but then they also deserve to treat the people who may be coming to them to buy their products better. And if they can't keep up, if they can't manage, they should be honest about it and say, look, we're having trouble. We're under such demand at the minute. We really can't help you, but we will come back to you. And the HS, as you said, is a brilliant car. It's it's five star on NCAP. I'm just looking now. I'm not doing a sales pitch for them, honestly. But the, the HS is another league again. It's got all the the um, auto pre-braking systems and all and all the things you mentioned that the ZS didn't have and it's yep. a crying shame really because my my brother was looking at the Karox he was looking at the Attackers all of that but went for the MG because it just gave so much better value for money Skoda's are brilliant cars as you said but they are now getting a bit more pricey not that they're not the bargain bucket um they're not the Dacia anymore. They've they've moved on. I think they've started occupying territory that Volkswagen would have had sort of 15 years ago. I think you're absolutely right. And to be honest, Mrs. G was absolutely devastated <laughs> when she drove the ZS. She figured she could live with the power. She could live with the five-speed box. She could live with the, the, the niggles with the armrests and the camera. She could live with that. But it was the, the, yeah, the safety tech in terms of the five-star rating and, and protection in the back and and I, I get that because actually it's fantastic value for money even the new one which is a bit more expensive again they've dropped their explore which was the entry level car which had key fit windows no air conditioning so no one in the right mind would buy one anyway but the mid-level cars were you know again you could you could you can pick one up even a year old for about 12 13 grand but to go for a mid, mid-spec car, you're looking for about £169 with about a grand down. And to be honest, that's a lot of car for the money, even if it feels like you're driving a car from a few years ago, maybe five years ago, in the way that it drives. The HS, though, definitely is the next step forward. You rightly say, five-star rating. It has MG Pilot, which is all the bits and pieces that are the um, safety kit on board. Very comfortable, very big in size. Yeah, you get the top split model even gets a pan roof um, as standard, I believe. So you, know, you, you can't yep. really argue with what you get in terms of the kit. And to be honest, cars in general are expensive now, I think. And we've said this before, you know, you go, so you spec up a Golf or a Focus or something of that sort of ilk. And if you really want to go for a high spec one, you're looking at a number that begins with a three. That's a lot of money for that kind of car. So when it comes to getting value and getting something that feels, dare I say it, that bit more premium that's worth the money, actually, it still is a very good buy, I think, the HS. And whether or not it's as polished as some of the German rivals, I'm not sure. But in terms of the way it looks and and the way you feel when you inside it, I think it's a brilliant car. Really very good. And once I've driven one, I shall let you know what it's like, assuming... Uh, a dealer wants to let me drive it. I thought it was interesting what you said, David, about the um, the size of the dealerships. You know, some of the dealerships being in in converted houses or people's houses. You know, that that old fashioned uh, approach to a dealership. You know, back when you sold cars off the high street. I think you know Ford used to be like that. They had a a dealership 
on every high street and literally on some of them the you know you can still see the signage there where it's uh, it's in a row of shops but i think always traditionally you found that the the smaller dealerships or the family run dealerships offered you that much better service so it's a, it's an interesting point for mg which way they want to go with this because the i think lots of the newer dealerships are going to be springing up i think there's a, another mg due to be built not too far from us, a little bit further north, but just occupying that uh, that sort of territory. And it's, I, I think, it's going to be a big, not not quite a gym palace like some of the uh, the marks have, but certainly a, a bit removed from the MG dealerships that have sprung up over the last few years. So, it just need to be a bit careful. Maybe it's, uh, is it running before you can walk MG? Although the name's been uh, been around for ages, as you say, it's it's in effect a, a new company and it's MG only by name. Um, which which way they go with it? I think if they try and grow too quickly and uh, and take too much market share, have have they really got the product to keep up with it? Not sure. That's how it seems to me. It does seem they they are running before they can walk. They're sort of starting to leap into territory that you know they're that people want bargain stuff at the minute. People are counting the pennies very much at the minute, and they want a lot for not a lot. And I think that's why MG have really sort of been trying to be quick off the mark to get the product in um, to satisfy that demand. But if they're not able to do it, I just think they should be upfront about it and say, look, we're having trouble. There's a supply and demand <laughs> imbalance here. Bear with us. We'll, we will come back to you. But they have to sort of make good on that. They have to follow up. And that's just not not on in this day and age where customer service is, uh, is everything. Mm. I, I will just point out that this was a... Um a big dealer, um, a big dealership that was offering quite substantial discounts. And I suspect that what they've done is create this lost leader um, or this attractive offer. And I'm not sure that the, the offer ever really existed, but um, that is, I would say, not great practice for any dealer to do. In, in, in honesty, the dealers that tend to do better, in my experience, are the ones that will put up either a realistic quote or um, just the standard figures and then beat what they've got online. Um, when people contact, I understand it's to get people through the door, but it it leaves a bit of a bad taste when you when people say, "Oh, actually, you know, they sold out." Well, the deal's only been live for five minutes, whatever it might be. It's a bit like the age old uh, the age old thing. You maybe got off on the wrong foot because you uh, you emailed and said you wanted one particular model, but actually, what he should have done was was qualified. You found out a bit about you, what you needed the car for, how you were going to use it. I mean, a, a very old old fashioned approach to selling, but. Uh, you can sell anything that way. You find out what your customer wants and needs and how they're going to use the product, and you then pick the right product to suit them. Uh, otherwise, yep. it's, it's no good. You'll end up disappointed with it or you won't buy it. So he had a, a perfect opportunity to, to get you in a much better car suited to your needs, and he, uh, and he didn't do that. So you'll go and buy something else. What I did find interesting about MG was, because it's not a huge amount that's been released to the UK automotive press, um, there's lots of bits and pieces in Thailand and China and everywhere else where they market MG as Morris Garages, which is MG, as you kind of expect. But on the back of the car, they've also got badges, British badges, saying that it's been engineered or the, the handling's been engineered in Britain. And it says something like British Dynamics or something on the back. They don't put that on the UK cars. MG have, have embraced the MG BGT as the only MG that's worth talking about in their mind. And I'm sure there are lots of people that will disagree with this. But what is interesting is that they've really gone for the British heritage. They've decided that this is what encapsulates their brand in every country apart from Britain. Uh, and I find that slightly odd. Two words, British Leyland. <laughs> Do they think that maybe we 
aren't quite so accepting of it because we know that it's Chinese owned or do we think it doesn't necessarily measure up to other British brands? Can you name a British mainstream brand? Well, a British brand that's still British owned because, you know, Lotus spring to mind, but of course they're uh, they're not under British ownership anymore. Uh, Jaguar spring to mind, but they're not British owned anymore. Uh, Land Rover, again, by the same token, not British owned anymore. Morgan? Who owns Morgan these days? Morgan is about it. Even McLaren aren't uh, British-owned. They're mostly um, Bahraini investment funds, aren't they? And some from the government? Or did the government... No, the government didn't give them the money in the end, did they? So uh... Good pronunciation of Bahrain as well. We've got the real Bahrain. Bahrain. You've got Rolls-Royce, who are BMW. You've also got Bentley, who are VW. Who's left, really? There's TVR... They're yet to yet to actually bring a car to market and sort of desperately Are looking for funds to be able to do so. Uh, no, 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 they're not anymore. I think um, it's. Yeah. I think they're looking for funds from. Last I heard, they were looking for funds on the Irish bond market. So really? you know, make of that what you will. So that's going to get ever more complicated once the uh, the EU thing is really final. So I can't see. TVR's career being particularly glittering unless somebody comes in. Maybe there's some youngster in, in Russia, like you say, who might have a few quid burning a hole in his pocket because that went well last time, didn't it? It's, it's a real shame, though, because Jim and I saw the concept car at Goodwin. There was a huge buzz about it and people have paid their money to order them. People are genuinely interested in buying this car and, and in honesty, I'm interested in seeing it because TVR's, although historically perhaps a little bit um, mechanical, in the way that you drove them, are, I think, quite exciting. And by exciting, I don't necessarily mean reliable, but I mean exciting in themselves. <laughs> I had a friend who had a Cerber, and that thing was terrifying, absolutely terrifying. One of our colleagues owned a, a TVR, and it did sound incredible with a, a V8 engine burbling away underneath. Not necessarily the best built, but was genuinely exciting, I think. Oh, but you say that he drove that. Uh, it, it was only in the in the office two days a week or three days a week on occasion, and and work from home for the rest of it. But it was a ninety mile round trip, and he he did that two or three days a week in the summer, and took it on road trips, and he he put a good amount of mileage on that car over the years he owned it, and and it was pretty much flawless. It had a, a minor issue with the alarm or the immobiliser cutting the fuel pump when he first bought it, sorted the wiring, and then beyond that, it needed. You know, tyres, discs and pads, just the, the the mechanical bits of it. That was as, as pretty much an economical car to run, if you could ignore the fuel bill, than, <laughs> than really anything else on the road today. That, that was a pretty much an impeccable car. An economical car, if you ignore the economy. Uh, yes, in in everything apart from the fuel, but you know, a, a V8, you're never going to get uh, get wonderful fuel economy. But in in everything else, in in maintenance terms, it was um, it was good. But perhaps the fact that he, he used it every day when he did use it and and warmed it up properly, cool, you know, warmed it down properly and and drove it properly. There's you know. I think that certainly helps. Lots of these cars end up as garage queens or driveway queens, and they get started up once a week, once every two weeks in the summer, have the pants thrashed off them for a few hours on a Sunday and uh, and put away for a week again. That's a, that's no way to run a car, is it? Well, indeed. Now, my SUV search eventually took me to one of our favourites, to be honest. Well, one of my favourites, no, one of Graham's favourites, and I'm sure um, that if he could speak now, he would voice his, uh, his opinion on it. Um, but to Volvo. Now, 
I I particularly enjoyed owning my V70. I enjoyed it far more than I thought I, I ever would, bearing in mind that effectively I bought it as a skip, and I've talked about this endlessly, so I'm not going to talk about that again. Um, but I did go and have a look at an XC40, which is a bit smaller than a Karak, and probably not far off the same size as the MG. Again, came with absolutely everything stacked and bestowed upon it. But when I went to get the the quote sorted, it turned out that it was a good sort of £140 more expensive and £100 more expensive than I'd managed to find online from a broker, although I don't think they do actually exist. What I did find, though, was that uh, if you put a couple of grand in, it's £340, £360 a month. If you want to lease it, it's £220 a month. And I think this is something that's also going to be quite interesting now. People that are buying their cars are changing them every couple of years. Lease deals have become so attractive, really attractive, that actually, are we going to change the way we're buying, not just for business use, but personally as well? Because we have a mobile phone, we have it for a couple of years, we have a car for a couple of years. Would you have the same car on a PCP where you don't own it at the end, but you can do for £120 more? Or would you have it for £120 less and lease the exact same car? What would you guys do? Well, yeah, of course you'd uh, you'd lease it, but really, in essence, between a PCP and a lease, what's the difference? Uh, there's no difference. You pay an amount of money up front, whether that's a deposit or advanced rentals, as they call it. You pay an amount of money per month, and whether that's a uh, PCP payment or a lease payment, it, it doesn't make a difference. And at the end of it, the car is worth something, and it's the difference between the price it is new, the price it is in two or three years with... Five, ten, eight thousand miles, whatever uh, agreement you put on it. Uh, what's it going to be worth in two years? And, and you take that off the price of new, divide that out, add some interest if there is any, and and that's what you pay per month. Or that's that's how it should work anyway. A uh, a lease car in three years with thirty thousand miles on it, assuming it's in the same condition, is going to be worth exactly the same as a car that was bought on PCP in three years with thirty thousand miles on it. So there's there's no difference there. Why is a lease deal that much cheaper? And you, there is the option to own it at the end. Okay, you might have to lease it, and the wife buys it, or vice versa. But there's there's nothing to stop you buying a lease car at the end of it. So why uh, why that much that much cheaper? Is it just from the big brokers and and taking the ability to do deals away from the uh, from the dealers or indeed the smaller dealers, which um, is a whole other topic on its own. You know the the dealerships that invest in the brand and the signage and do all the warranty work for you and whatever else, but don't don't seem to be able to offer the cheapest price per month doesn't quite stack up to me as being uh, being fair. So why do we choose to own? Is it vanity? Or say own a PCP? Again, you can question whether you actually own it. No, you don't. Not at all. Not a part of it. Well, your name's on the logbook and potentially, potentially you might have some equity in it, but is it a vanity Yeah, the, thing? the logbook is not proof of ownership. Well, this is this is true. It merely states who is responsible for taxing, insuring the vehicle. David, what do you think? I have never actually leased or PCP'd a car as yet. I looked into it before I got the Skoda recently, and I still, I'm because I'm old, I still have this slight aversion to not actually really owning it. I'd rather at the end of it have something I'd say, that's mine, or I can sort of find the money and go, right, I'm buying it out right now because I don't have to pay the bank the last sort of 12 months' worth of finance payments. It's something that I think is going to become probably more the reality as we go on. Things are far more transient, as, as you both alluded to. You know, you lease things, you have a phone for a couple of years, you chop that in and get a new one. Everything's far more... Almost 
almost disposable now you know you you don't actually have the thing for that long but i think for me for now i'm probably still going to stick with the old model of saying to the bank can i have some money please i want to buy a car i'll give you it all back in four years and then i'll see what i do with the car yeah it's a it's an odd one we bought uh, i've uh, i've never bought a car on pcp or lease or anything like that i've i've done the same as you in uh, in days gone by borrowed the money from the bank and bought the car and the car was mine in inverted commas i just borrowed the money but then for my uh, my other half's old car she bought uh, an igo when the original scrappage scheme was out so bought that on a pcp type affair got to the end of it and it was i think four four and a half grand or whatever it was to own the thing so we borrowed that from the bank and uh, and then paid that off and yeah at the end of it the what whatever it was uh, it was worth you know two and a half three grand whatever we got for it when we sold it a few years later was uh, was ours but again it's that you're either renting the car or you're renting the money to buy a car it's a bit like buying a house really isn't it you you know do you own your own home well yes but i, I don't have the money to to buy it outright so you uh, you rent the money and whether you rent the money rent a house rent a car it doesn't actually really make a difference does it well i think the traditional bank loan thing is just simpler isn't it you just know that after a certain amount of time you've paid the money it's yours there's no balloon payment there's no sort of oh hang on a minute well we might give you this if you've done this amount of miles but we might give you that if you've done that amount it's it's a known quantity i think the pcp or the lease model uh certainly more the pcp appeals to the uh, the vanity in people because if uh, if you can afford let's say 300 pounds a month so going back a few years when i used to get bank loans to buy cars you know i, I kind of times it by 10 and the other two months paid for the interest etc so if uh, if you were paying back 300 pounds a month and and you'd taken out the loan for a year you had three grand two years six grand etc was was always the way i kind of worked it out in my head so you know six or nine grand let's say over three years uh, you could borrow nine or ten grand for that that doesn't buy you a lot of cars it certainly doesn't buy you a brand new car whereas 300 pounds a month today will buy you actually quite a lot of car but really, it, it technically only buys you half the car, doesn't it? My thoughts about financing, it, I, I'm, I'm actually I'm behind financing cars, and to a certain extent, I'm behind PCPing them as well, really. I think my first car, my, my very first car, I bought on um, an HP agreement because I knew how much it was going to be per month. It was uh, Little Kia was my first car. It was when they used to be cheap. It was £100 a month with not a lot down. It might have been something stupid like a pound deposit or something. It was really a tiny amount of money and again it came with a relatively extensive warranty and when I was at college and then at uni that that made a lot of sense to me because actually I only had to put fuel in it and service it and otherwise it generally paid for itself with a PCP now and people can make their own minds up as to what they want I tend to find that it does give you a little bit of security because the way that we are now in particular the market's changing so if you're buying a new car now and you're buying it from a, a main manufacturer, most manufacturers will offer you a, a hybrid version of some description. Um, Toyota have always been doing it for years because they're far further ahead of the game than a lot of the other manufacturers. But whether it's a mild hybrid or whatever it might be, people have come to expect it. It gets you better fuel economy, it gets you a bit more power. Not massively massive amounts of fuel economy, but a, a usable boost in terms of the power for what you get. So you could have a smaller engine, it doesn't doesn't matter so much. Cars that were years ago, you could buy cars with and without air conditioning. People didn't necessarily see it so much of a, a thing at the time, but down the line, when they came to buy them second hand, everyone wanted cars with aircon. Same with Bluetooth. 
And I wonder now whether we're going to find ourselves in a few years' time finding, oh, this car's not got any kind of electrical power of some description, and suddenly it becomes worth less. So to a certain extent, if you reach the end of your PCP, you've paid your money, whatever you're comfortable to pay, £100, £200, £300, whatever it is, and the market drops out, then you can hand the keys back and you're no worse off, effectively, apart from the fact you've paid monthly money to not own anything at the end. Obviously, if you do buy something on a loan, it's going to be more expensive, which is fine if you're happy with that, because when you PCP a car, you pay the difference between what it's worth now and what it's worth in three years, as opposed to all of what it's worth in three years. The chances are it'll be worth more than zero, even if it's scrap. But if you're not certain what the market's going to do, or if you've got the option of buying something on 0% interest, which a lot of the time a PCP can be at the moment, there's some cracking deals out there, even somewhere the manufacturers will pay the first few months uh, of your payments, which you can then chuck in your deposit, do whatever you want to do. Um, it does give you a little bit of um, extra flexibility. I guess if you if you wanted to, you could pay the difference in between. If you got a 0% deal, you could put away some of the money that you were going to be spending extra to buy it off and then buy it off at the end or, or what have you. But I think that there's um, it, it gives people another option, not necessarily a bad one. Anyway, that's a, a lot of boring financial stuff that you're probably going to have to cut out. <laughs> I mean, there's the, the flip side to it as well. There's a lot to be said for uh, for buying a new car. And, OK, it's more expensive per month. And, some, you know, how much does that cost? You know, 360, 380, 400, whatever it is. Um, and somebody might quite proudly declare that their car only costs them four grand and, you know, they've got a bank loan or saved up or did whatever they did. But there's uh, there's always the running costs on it. You know, I mean, if you buy a, a brand new car and drive it off the forecourt, Nine times out of ten these days, the service intervals are two years, um, or the uh, after the first year, it might just need a, a very quick inspection, so 30, 40 quid's worth, if that. Uh, service for a car typically these days is, is a couple of hundred quid. Uh, factor that in over three, four, five years, however long you're going to own the car for, however long mm. the length of the warranty is, you know, you're not going to have to shell out for a clutch, an engine, a gearbox, a turbo, an exhaust, a, whatever it happens to be. You can buy a, a car a lot cheaper and one month it's service uh, service time, so that's 250 A couple of months later you need a couple of tyres or four tyres, so that's two, three, four, five hundred quid and so on and so forth. You know, a clutch on anything these days is a £1,000. Uh, anything goes wrong with the fuel injection system on any car, it's a £1,000. Uh, turbo goes wrong, that's that's a grand, 1500 quid. So, uh, again, you, you kind of factor all the costs in over the, the length of time. And I think, as, as you'd said... Gates is that peace of mind that people want. You know, I, I had my old car that I'd modified and done up and made my own, and, and I came out of it and went into company cars uh, just because I wanted, I knew how much it would cost me uh, every month in tax, um, but I, I never had to buy it, sell it, worry about it, put a tyre on it, insure it. Um, and, uh, and back in the day, of course, fuel worked out reasonably cheap, uh, so uh, it was all the fuel I could chuck in it, and I knew how much it cost me a month, so that, that quite appealed. So uh, I think any manufacturer MG warranties these days are what seven years. So you seven years, you know, you can yeah. Get, you can uh, you can buy the thing and pay it off over five years and and still have a car with two years manufacturer's warranty left on it. You know, lots of the Korean brands are all seven years. Uh, I think any manufacturer that's only offering three years as standard is is getting a bit left behind, to be honest. Yeah, because I think you so. Want, you know, if it, you look at uh, you look at a Ford, uh, for example, and although the five year warranty is available, it's it costs you extra. Uh, you can have a, a three-year 
car and let's say you buy that on a PCP, uh, your settlement figure is going to be 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 grand and there's no warranty on it. That's, that's not a lot of, uh, of safety net and 12, 13, 14 grand is too much money to spend on a car. Uh, because if something goes wrong with it, you've put 12, 13, 14 grand in it, so you've got to fix it. Uh, if it's uh, if it's a grand's worth or 500 quid's worth or whatever it is, if something goes badly wrong with it, you chuck it away and get a new one, and and that's it. Um, so I think the I think the the market over the next few years will go to either very cheap stuff or very expensive stuff, with not a lot in the middle, and certainly that that hybrid electrified although lots of the technology has proven to be very reliable the batteries are lasting a lot better than anyone thought they would far fewer moving parts and things like that and if you're going to get a duff battery it'll either go wrong in the first five minutes or or never but if if anything does go wrong with that you know would you want to buy a seven-year-old tesla let's say Mm. something that expensive that that specialist not not necessarily that complicated but that expensive to work on uh, with no warranty whatsoever, it's it's a big risk. So you either need to be cheap or expensive. I think. And I think that's where the problem is because cars are generally that much more expensive. And when you look at something like the MG, as an example here, you've got a seven-year warranty. As you say, you know, you've got a cheaper purchase price to begin. You can see why that is really attractive. So what I would like to know, really, and by all means, tweet us at UK Motor Talk, find us on Facebook, or otherwise write into us at UK Motor Talk Towers, PO Box, whatever it is, and tell me what you think I should do. Now, I can either take a bank loan and I can buy a car, and that will probably be an SUV, and that will probably be somewhere between fifteen and £17,000 as a used car. Probably a couple of years old, probably with not much warranty left. So that is an option. Do you think I should take out a PCP and I should buy something a bit more expensive than the MG? So um, something like the Karok, which is probably about £260 a month with two grand down based on what I've seen. Or do you think I should look at the other MG and look at owning it outright in the space of the warranty? So within five years. Or do you think I should just not bother and keep the Audi and not worry about it at all? Or the final option... Do I choose something very nice, like the XC40, which is a very, very nice car and very well equipped, and pay about £230 a month, have a brand new car, and have nothing to show for it at the end? Let me know your thoughts. I've had a thought. Now, this is a vehicle that's presumably named after the guy's favourite pub. In fact, it was named after the guy's favourite pub. I'm not even making that up. The Grenadier. Um, which it just sounds like a pub. It's going to be bought by people that own pubs. Nevertheless, it's built in Wales. Is this the only really British car now? Is it actually going to be built in Wales? I thought they were going to build it in France. Are they? I thought they were going to build it at Ford, or at least in Bridgend. I've heard rumours it's uh, it's going to be built in France, but uh, but by bolting a BMW engine into it. Sounds brilliant. I just like the fact it looks like an old Defender, to be honest. Not really that British, is it? Mm. Well, according to the internet, and this must be true because it's on the internet, uh, there are three fully British-owned car manufacturers, and I think we might have to cut that down to two given what we were talking about earlier, given recent developments. They are Morgan, Caterham and McLaren. And I would take issue with the fully owned British aspect of McLaren because, as we say, I think quite a lot of the money is now coming from the desert state of Bahrain. 
<laughs> no, I got the pronunciation right again. I won't do it again because it's making my throat hurt. But yes, those three. Um, forgot about Caterham actually. Yeah, me too. I've forgotten about Caterham as well. Caterhams are an interesting car as well, aren't they? Because they're one of these that get away with being as basic as they are because they are as brilliant as they are and they have been as brilliant as they are for many, many years. And it doesn't matter how fast you're going one of those, it feels like you're going a million miles an hour. Even at 30 miles an hour, those things feel fast. Scraping your backside along the tarmac practically, aren't you, in one of those? You do. But now, most people know that have been listening for a while that I am quite short. I'm I'm short enough to fit inside a, a GT40, which is which is relatively short. I fit quite well in a catering, although I find the, the sort of pedal box area a little bit small. If I'm completely honest, if you're tall, you need to go for a wide-bodied version. Or if you're relatively broad, I find. But what a brilliant car! What a brilliant car! Have, have you guys had a, a go at any length in one of those? Or yeah, yeah. Had a go. It's it's a different experience altogether to anything else you may have driven. Oh, just uh, just chucking another British brand in there is, uh, I believe they're British owned and, uh, and obviously still build cars in Britain. Is Ariel, of course. Ariel Somerset. Ah, of course. Yeah. What we've established here is that although we can come up with some British brands eventually, none of these are what you'd call mainstream. Uh, no, I think well, Ariel. <laughs> What do they do? Hundred cars a year, something like that, don't they? With a with a Japanese engine in it. But again, to be fair, if you're gonna bolt any engine in the back of your car, Japanese, make it reliable. Why not? Brands you think are quintessentially British, and I've been bigger brands here. Rolls Royce, we've obviously said, not British. Bentley, Aston Martin, you still think quintessentially British, don't you? Land Rover, Jaguar. It seems such a shame we let all this get away from us. But I would argue the cars have been. Uh, this is this is potentially contentious issue i would argue the cars are now better than they were when we had them i'd uh, i'd be inclined to agree i'm not sure the land rover have got any better in terms of reliability though just throwing that out there i think the newer stuff is generally accepted to be pretty good because when people are shelling out sort of regularly in excess of six figures for a car they don't want to be seeing it disappear on the back of an aa truck and i think mm. they finally got the message but yes they they do have a a fairly well-earned reputation in the past for the quality of some of their uh, machinery. But it'll be interesting to see, again, given the foreign manufacturing nature that you were talking about, of how well the new Defender stands up to scrutiny, because they're being made, I believe, in the Czech Republic. I, I think you're right. Years and years ago, I used to do the Land Rover Jaguar breakdown. So, so I used to be quite busy going out to people uh, and replacing their Land Rovers and... Uh, getting them out of trouble. I remember dragging a Discovery across a car park. It looked like a dog that didn't want to go somewhere. Just sort of tugging along with its lead. It squatted down because the handbrake wouldn't release at the back. But I will say this. If I won the lottery tomorrow and I wanted to buy a 4x4 vehicle, without question, it would be a Land Rover product because I just think they are A, beautiful to look at if you ignore the new Discovery, which looks, well, the back of it looks like a Picasso, as we know. And they are lovely to drive. Really Genuinely great. I, could, I didn't really understand why people would want to have a Range Rover or something similar to drive about just to, on a daily basis. But honestly, driving one of those along a motorway, wafting along, it's, it's such a pleasant experience. Really are great cars. Yep. Anything from the original Land Rover from 1948 would be a good car to have, I think. I mean, I don't think they've ever really made, apart from maybe the uh, 
the slightly silly two litre version of the discovery that existed for a couple of years i think that was perhaps a little bit i know that was done for tax reasons but um i don't think they've ever made a car that i wouldn't potentially own i think land rover are one of those brands that i've never owned and will do one day i know that mm. and for me and for my money i think it would have to be a, a disco three was the sweet spot for me. I think genuinely a great car. Seven seats and enough space to actually sit in the seven seats, the space at the back. A hatch that folds down so you can get the dogs and things into the back of it. Great idea. Or whatever you want to put in the back of it. So much comfort. So much technology. Just like driving a living room around, basically. And with a, a decent, talky diesel engine, absolutely superb. Probably all the car you ever really need for, for getting around. But obviously expensive to buy new and obviously expensive potentially to own used. Because uh, once that uh, warranty has gone... You certainly wouldn't want one outside the warranty, would you? No. If you're going to buy one, buy cheap, buy a V8, get it LPG converted and you'll be king of the road. You'll be king of the petrol pumps, but you will also be king of the road. Passes everything but a fuel station, as they say. Great fun, though. Great fun. They make the most wonderful noise. But our useful consumer advice to you here is, if you want something that's not potentially reliable, is quite expensive to run, or relatively reliable, but also very expensive, buy a Land Rover. Because I genuinely don't think there is a better 4x4. If you're a fan of Panatella, you'll love to hear that Graham has been sat with us the whole time. He's been making gestures at us, he's been watching us mournfully at the camera, he's been like a kid staring through a toy shop window. But unfortunately, he hasn't been able to say anything. So what he would like to say is, I don't think we have time for it, I'm afraid. So what I'd like to say is good night, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to us again. Um, I hope it's been interesting, entertaining, or in some way informative. And if you're as confused now about buying cars as I am, great. So, I've been Mike. I've been Jim. I was David. And Andrew has been sat silently at the back, despite the fact he can actually talk and Graham can't. So, would like to say good night. We'll see you, or good afternoon, or good morning, of course, because we don't know when you're listening. And hopefully you will hear from us again very soon. Take care. Bye. Ta-da. UK Motor Talk, a first take media production.